0: This podcast has been brought to you with the support of Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. With a Wise account, you can send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Whether you're traveling through Asia, freelancing in France, or buying that dream property in Oz, Wise is the easy way to connect all your finances internationally. You can even send money home to Mum in Minutes. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com. Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto, it's February 14th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Cyclone Gabrielle was predicted to be the biggest storm of the century and it certainly has made its mark. Strong winds have already knocked out power lines, leaving thousands without electricity, while surge swells have rocked coastal areas with enormous power. These conditions have now moved over Auckland, posing enormous risk for a city still recovering from the anniversary day floods. What is it about the storm that made it so powerful? And should we prepare for this to happen more regularly? Today, NZ Herald science writer Jamie Morton explains the weather forces that have fed into the fury of Gabrielle. Jamie, the Upper North Island has been battling with cyclone Gabrielle over the last few days. Can you run us through the key stats behind this weather event?
1: Yeah, so we're to start here, really. Um... As at Monday afternoon, we're looking at 30 severe weather warnings right across New Zealand, Um, already close to 60,000 homes without power. We've seen waves more than 12 metres high north of the North Island and gales that have gusted at 160 kilometres in some places, which is huge, and nearly 100 millimetres of rainfall already in Whangarei. And, you know, over the next 24 hours, that's likely to get worse Exposed parts of Coromandel, Tatafiti, they could be seeing rainfall totals potentially in the hundreds of millimeters. We're likely to see plenty more pretty huge numbers over the next 24 hours.
0: Jamie, this storm has been very unusual in that it has shut down a huge chunk of the North Island for the last few days flight and public transport cancellations, school and business closures, key transport links shut down. How does a storm like this compare to past cyclones or weather events to warrant such a major shutdown?
1: Yeah, I think the obvious factors at play here are, are one, the intensity of the system and, and two, the sheer size of it. As it was moving towards our country, it was actually the entire size of New Zealand. That's how big the system is. Another obvious point is just how closely it's tracking near us. We can um, look at previous large events that have come our way and we can see what sort of damage they've caused in the past. But this this system stands apart for a few other different reasons. You know, from a low-pressure perspective, for instance, it's likely to have comparable values to what we saw with Cyclone Bola in 1988 and that caused about $200 million worth of damage. But also, you know, Cyclone Gazelle in 1968, which most of us will remember for the Wahine disaster, Whether Gabrielle inflicts this same sort of damage, I think that's going to be a lot clearer by Tuesday morning. The aftermath of tragedy. The inter-island steamer Wahine lies on its side today
0: at the mouth of Wellington Harbour. Around it, small boats have been keeping up the search for victims of the disaster, and tonight only six people are unaccounted for. Official lists show that 566 passengers and 110 crew are safe and 46 bodies have been found. Do you think that the level of shutdown is warranted, even if we don't see the type of destruction that people may imagine a cyclone is capable of causing?
1: I think public agencies certainly don't take these sorts of decisions lightly. Firstly, as I said, you know, Gabriel isn't any ordinary weather system. There's plenty of extreme elements at play here that have meteorologists and officials extra worried about some of the rainfall and winds it could bring. We're also talking about a system that's so large that MetService has issued red, orange and yellow warnings right across the North Island. One forecaster noted she couldn't remember a time that had happened before. And as well, I think we only need to look at the impacts of that January 27th event. Now, that left several people dead in hundreds of homes, red or yellow, stickered, and Gabriel, of course, risks compounding the problems that that system already caused. Do you think that the Auckland
0: anniversary floods maybe contributed to the precautions that we're taking for this event?
1: Perhaps it did, but you know, perhaps it didn't. I mean, basically, the ingredients that are in the mix with this potential you know, extreme weather event we're looking at, I think if you'd put that January 27th event aside and pretended that it never happened, I'd, I'd wager that we'd still be hearing the same messages and looking at the same warnings that are coming out of agencies right now.
0: Gabrielle has been changed from a tropical cyclone to an ex-tropical cyclone. Can you explain the differences and how this might impact the severity of the storm?
1: Yeah, so meteorologists are at pains to point out that, well, we refer to Gabrielle as a cyclone. It, it ceased to be one in the sense that most of us understand them when it underwent something called a extra-tropical transition on its way here. So that happened when it met colder waters and stronger upper-level winds across the Tasman Sea. And we could now think of it more of as a, a mid-latitude system. And its driving forces are no longer things like warm water causing convection, which you know, we associate with tropical cyclones, but features that are tens of kilometres above us. Now, it's important to point out that this doesn't mean that the system has become any weaker as it's undergone this transition. And, you know, we've seen often in the past, ex-tropical cyclones can sometimes even muster even more lower pressure than their previous forms did.
0: You recently also wrote about the freakish aspects of the storm. Are these some of the factors that you're talking about when you mention those freakish aspects?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, there's a couple of interesting aspects to Gabrielle. One standout is the incredibly low pressure it's packing. Um, So forecasters think that by early Tuesday morning, low pressure within it could have reached about 960 hectopascals, which is a unit for measuring air pressure. So that's not good news, as the lower the pressure, the stronger the winds and the more intense the wind. And those sorts of pressure values we haven't seen for a long time it's in the territory of what gazelle was back in 1968 for instance that low pressure is also manifesting in something called the inverted barometer effect which leads to higher mean sea levels obviously that's going to compound storm surge risk and there's one more feature that i'll point out It's something called a sting jet which sounds quite interesting but basically we can think of it as an atmospheric feature that hooks around a system's centre and provides a sting in its tail almost like a scorpion, and that's been associated with some pretty damaging winds. We saw the same effect happen in the April 2018 storm over Auckland, which I'm sure a lot of people will remember.
0: One thing that has been telling about this event is that the weather reports across both MetService and NIWA have been quite consistent over the course of the entire um, system. So what is it about tropical storms like this that makes them slightly more predictable than, say, the storms that cause the Auckland floods?
1: Yeah, I'd say that systems like Gabrielle still have a fair amount of unpredictability about them, especially as they go through that extratropical transition and come out the other end of something else. So cyclone tracks, as we've seen, um, they can change days out, although you know, there's less wiggle room now that Gabrielle is at our doorstep. But, you know, local variables like nearby pressure systems can actually make a world of difference to what impacts we see here. With respect to the January 27th event, forecasters had already flagged that system as a subtropical low with the potential to cause heavy rain. It's been described as a freak occurrence given the number of different factors that aligned that Friday evening. But what transpired, I think, still seemed to come as a surprise to forecasters. With
0: MetService and NIWA offering their own updates sporadically throughout the course of the event, is there a sense at all of competition between the weather providers for media attention?
1: I don't see it myself as a science reporter. I think journalists probably just tend to phone whichever forecasters they like, and often that's going to be MetService, given they're the official forecast agency. Um, but yes, that um, we've got two public weather forecasters operating has drawn a fair bit of publicity and criticism. And um, you know, back in 2020, Newell and MetService's boss had to field some pretty awkward questions uh, at a parliamentary select committee.
0: The addition of strong winds and storm surges will mean there are additional risks, and the impacts will compound those that are still being felt from last month's event. The better scenario is that it's a slightly further away, but please note that even if it's further away, Auckland should expect impacts. Tuesday is predicted to be a tough day for Auckland, so what can New Zealand's largest city expect from Gabrielle?
1: Yeah, as I'm talking on a Monday afternoon, MetService was basically forecasting uh, around 200 millimetres through to 3am Tuesday. So, in other words, the worst is going to be happening overnight Monday and into Tuesday morning, but by Tuesday morning, there's still going to be a fair bit of rain. Later in the day, we can expect showers. You know, Met Service also warns of severe gales southwesterlies of damaging wind gusts of 130 kilometres an hour on Tuesday morning. I think as time goes on throughout Tuesday, perhaps we'll see the influence of Gabrielle become a, a bit less wild.
0: Obviously, Auckland still remains quite wet at the moment. So are there any stats of just how saturated the North Island is and what this amount of rain is going to do to our soil, especially in those cliffside areas?
1: Yeah, so much of the North Island is extremely sodden after what's been in a, a, a very wet January. You know, if you go onto Newa's soil moisture deficit maps and take a look, basically the the entire North Island is some shade of blue, whether that's light or dark blue. But you know, these represent soil moisture levels that are in excess of 60 millimetres of storage. So it's huge. Obviously, this has big implications for ground stability. And the sorts of rainfall values that we might get with Gabrielle that raises the risk of things like fresh landslides, rock falls, um, sea cliffs coming away. And the experts that I've talked to are basically expecting to see landscapes transformed once more by the system. Jamie, from my understanding, it's that tropical storms like this
0: are meant to be a rarity in this part of the world. So can you tell us about the formation of this storm and if we can expect weather events like this to become more common in years to come?
1: So basically, Gabrielle formed up over what were abnormally warm waters up in the, up, in, up at the Coral Sea. So at its very birth, its formation, you know, a couple of days ago, it had all of that extra energy and heat going into it. Of course, you know, the system is very different now to what it was then. If we look well into the future, and perhaps contrary to popular assumption, a warming planet isn't expected to create more of these tropical cyclones, but actually fewer. I mean, that can be explained by changes in the state of the atmosphere, you know, gradually resulting in fewer storms being needed to maintain the flow of heat from the tropics to the poles. That's not to say that there's going to be a dramatic decrease. Scientists are really actually only expecting the average sort of 10 in the southwest Pacific each season to drop to about nine maybe. The bad news, of course, um, is that those tropical cyclones that we do get will be packing more of a punch. That's because basically more moisture in the atmosphere and more energy and also warmer seas. Hence, we can expect to see you know greater rainfall, stronger winds, effects like that. Jamie, having reported on climate change for years now and seeing
0: the impact of these intense weather events, how confident are you that our major cities in New Zealand can withstand what's coming their way in years to come?
1: Yeah, I mean, aside from working out, you know, what's going to be a massive cost of insuring or replacing properties damaged by the impacts that we're going to be getting with these systems, and those costs will mount over time. What stands out to me is is three kind of key lessons if they weren't learned from that January 27th event, and hopefully they will be from this one. But the first one is basically that our water network infrastructure is woefully unprepared for climate change. And we're having to look at, you know, making perhaps 120 to $180 billion worth of upgrades just to bring them up to scratch and deal with the sort of pressure and demand that we're going to get with, you know, increasing extreme rainfall events. Another big lesson is that we remove wetlands and green spaces at our absolute peril. Um, rather than cut down trees that can absorb lots of water, we need to be planting more of them, especially in spaces like central Auckland where we've lost a hell of a lot of our tree cover. A third one is you know, just considering how much of our property is already at risk from flooding. You know, that's estimated to be, you know, $150 billion worth if we add together basically all of the public and private buildings that are considered at risk right now. So the takeaway from that is we urgently need to start building in risky areas. And, you know, this is why we've been seeing some pretty helpful conversation the last two weeks about the need for you know further intensification in cities, building outwards, not outwards, and taking a closer look at um, some developments around our coastal areas that perhaps shouldn't be getting consents. Thanks for joining us, Jamie.
0: That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and edited by Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. Subscribe to the front page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.